Welcome to Filled to Flourish with Luke and Lauren. Where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Welcome back, guys. We're so excited to talk about, finally, talk about the Enneagram with you all today. Yes, we've been kind of throwing it in there throughout their, yeah. our episode, but we get to talk about it today. Hopefully, we've piqued enough curiosity for those who um, haven't yet kind of integrated the Enneagram into their life to now take this series that we're starting today and use that to be a helpful tool for them. Yeah, and the ones that are already have implemented in their life, we have met their craving. Yes. <laughs> so today we have a really special, fun, um, wonderful person on today as our guest. Her name is Katie and she is an Enneagram coach and she, uh, similar to us, loves all things emotional health. Yes. Um, she really loves helping people understand themselves and gaining that insight so that they can grow relationally and personally. And we're just so, so excited to have her insight and her wisdom and her personal uh, touch to this conversation. Absolutely. So welcome, Katie. Hey guys, I am so glad to be here and to get to discuss our favorite topic together. Okay, maybe <laughs> all our favorite, but one of our favorite topics yeah. each other is Enneagram and so yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us. We are just blessed to have you here. It's actually, uh, we just met Katie last year, and it was really cool how we our paths intersected. And yeah, we talked a good bit about the Enneagram. It's definitely up there on our, on our favorite listing. And Katie is such an Enneagram guru. She has so much good gems to offer. So let's jump in. All right, so Katie, I just want to start off. Um, how did you get introduced to the Enneagram and how would you explain the Enneagram? Oh, those are good and big questions, Luke. Um, yeah, I was introduced to the Enneagram through just a friend who was like, hey, I know that you love emotional health and you love personalities and understanding things like you need to check out the Enneagram. And I was like, eh, you know, like I'm kind of tapped out on personality systems, to be honest, like done them all. Give me that Myers-Briggs and the strength finders. And so like, I kind of ignored my friend's suggestion for quite a while. And she kept saying, come on, it's different than the other ones. You have to, you have to listen to this podcast. So much like this, she handed me a podcast of people discussing an overview of the Enneagram types. And I was hooked, didn't want to admit it, but it intrigued me because unlike most personality typing systems, the Enneagram was not based on behavior. It was based on motivation. And that became the game changer for me. Um, the Enneagram is such a helpful tool to begin to understand what motivates us. Why do we do what we do? Um, everyone, you can have three different people that do the same behavior for entirely different reasons. And the Enneagram helps you connect and understand your own motivations to see what do I do when I'm in a really good place and I'm growing? And what do I do when I'm really stressed out and why? And then from that place, I can... I can grow in understanding. So it's 
such a tool to understand ourselves, but also other people. Um, I'm recently married and I can say that the Enneagram is one of the best tools that my husband and I have used to develop a common language to understand each other because we are so different and we are motivated by such different things um, that it's actually given us a connection path to each other in a really beautiful way where we can, I'm like, oh, that's why you do that. You're not weird. You're just different than me. Um, so it's been really helpful. That is such a great explanation of the Enneagram. Very crisp, clear. I always explain it as it's like, doesn't tell me why, it doesn't tell me what to do to get better. It gives me language for what I already do. And I had a very similar experience as you. Is actually Lauren gave me an Enneagram book. And I was like, oh, I've done the, I've done the personality assessments. I'm, I'm not impressed. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like, oh, wait, that's me. She gave, gave it to me another time next week. And it's like, oh, that's me again. I, I showed you the specific number that yeah. I really had a strong sense you might be. Yeah. Two weeks in a row. It was like back to back. I'm like, okay, I got to look into this. Yeah, I, I can so identify with that. I didn't want another system that would label me and put me in a box. And so... Um, I had to keep running into it to realize it's not. Um, Ian Morgan Crone has a great book that I always say, this is the best book for beginners to start with, that he kind of goes through all the different types. But in his book, there's an amazing quote. And he says, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It reveals the box that you're already in. And I love that. Like, it can be a little bit vulnerable even to get connected to the Enneagram because you're like, oh my gosh they just like listened to my life and wrote it down. <laughs> like what? It, it, the Enneagram just reveals exactly what you said, Luke. It reveals what we're already doing. And that's what makes it so powerful. Yep. Yep. It is so good. It's such a great tool for emotional health. You mentioned that it shows growth and stress. And I don't know how much we'll get into that today because the Enneagram is very broad and is a big tool, but it reveals why you do things in your stress. And then it gives you a direction of, and a vision of where you can go in, in health. Um, and that's, I think a very unique part of this assessment that it doesn't leave you stuck in a box or labeled or just stuck with your, your quote unquote issues. It just says, here's some language and you don't, you're not stuck there. There's, there's hope. Yeah, there's totally um, so much hope. And especially when you use it. So people can use the Enneagram just like any tool. You can, it's how you use it. So some people use it to just point out faults in others. And I'm trying not to be the crazy lady in the corner that says, no, stop don't do it that way. Um, because it actually is such a tool of hope and transformation and vulnerability and growth. And so if you look at the Enneagram symbol, you'll notice it's a circle with numbers, nine numbers around it. And it has all of these connecting lines. And it's like, what is that? Is it a weird star? Like what? Huh? It's actually just a map. I love thinking about the Enneagram as a GPS. What line am I on and where am I going? all of the numbers connect because of different 
motivations and how we move, what we are motivated by when we're stressed. And as we're growing, how our motivations shift and change. And so every number is connected together, which is why when people take an Enneagram assessment, it can be a helpful starting place, but you almost, I shouldn't say almost never, it's very unlikely that you will test into your number because you're only as aware to answer the questions as you are of yourself. And the Enneagram is all about bringing awareness to yourself. So it can actually take time to see what part of the map am I actually on? What are my true motivating factors? And just like anything, our greatest strengths can also have a blind spot to them and can have a weakness side. And what I love about the Enneagram is that it truly is a full circle system and what we can use for emotional health, for discipleship, for a lot of different different pieces coming together. And so it brings it together in a really comprehensive way that you're not left with a shadow side. Like you can grow through it. So even in a stress number, um, you can still come back around and grow. So you hit the high side of that and that weakness can become a strength again. So it becomes this beautiful full circle thing where you're not left with, oh my gosh, that's my core fear on paper. Yuck. Like, no, like this is how we can move through it. And it allows you to be in touch with your humanity in a really powerful way that actually can bring in the redemption of Christ, can bring in authenticity to relationships. And so it becomes a really, really powerful roadmap. I love that picture of a roadmap. I've never heard it described like that, but that is such a perfect description of, of where you are, where you've been, and where you can go. Um, that is so good. So whenever I'm listening to podcasts or, you know, um, YouTube videos or what, whatnot about the Enneagram, I'm always curious what the speaker's number is. So do you mind sharing? And then as we reach your number, you know, you can elaborate more on that. But what number do you identify with, Katie? That's a great question. I'm always curious too. And I have the internal argument in myself of like, do I want to know what the speaker is? Because now I could be biased. Oh, I know how they're presenting that. So y'all just take a deep breath and put aside all, I want everyone that hears my number and here's the numbers as we go through. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I encourage you to put aside preconceived notions. And the reason for that is in the Enneagram, there's these amazing things called levels of development, which basically is emotional maturity within a number. And so you can have three people that have the same number and it looks totally different because of how in touch they are with their motivations, what their emotional maturity level is and that type of thing. So um, I am an Enneagram six. And so for those of you uh, who know what that is, we'll dive into it more. But um, all of the memes about the Enneagram are to make us laugh. They're not always true to exactly who we are. And I'll explain that more when we get into each number of like, and this is what a meme would look like versus like, this is maybe how it actually shows up in a person's life. Fantastic humor. But yeah, I'm an Enneagram six. I love being a six. Um, part of my journey was actually falling in love with my number and being okay with this is who I am. And this is a really beautiful thing with a lot of strengths 
um, that the Lord's given me. And I feel that way about each of the numbers. Each one of them reflect a really different, unique, and beautiful truth. Mm, amazing. Oh, this is so exciting. Yes, that was such a great uh, encouragement of that, those biases because we do see those memes and those stereotypes of, of the numbers. And they're helpful to a point, but just to a point. So yeah. it's good to give that caveat. So why don't we jump in to kind of exploring the numbers. So on the circle, it's kind of like a clock, but rather than a clock having a 12, it has a nine up at the top. So we're gonna start at the best number. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nine. <laughs> we're gonna start with a nine because I want to be seen. Yeah, I feel like nines, we heard that at some point along the way, like nines are a lot of the time the last number talked about if you start with a one, right? And so, but nines, there's a lot of baggage there with being the last one to be seen. So we'll definitely start with the nine and let them be seen first. Honey. I will give them a voice. Yes, you will speak for the nines. So Katie, we'd love to just hear um, some about the nine and what the core fear and core desire, uh, and maybe we'll get a little bit, we'll have a few more questions too, but let's start with that. That sounds amazing. And Luke, I'm so glad you started with a nine. That was like my initial response was, oh my gosh, he's valuing himself. He's yeah. seeing that presence matters. Yes, start with the nine. <laughs> so I applaud you for that. Um, I love nines. I love their gentleness and their harmony and the way that they can so powerfully learn to give a voice to things in people. And it starts with this internal journey within themselves of realizing that they're valuable enough to take up space and to have a voice. And when they can recognize that about themselves, they start bringing that to the world into community as a whole. And they stand up for the underdog and they create this beautiful safe space for people to come alive and to be known and to be seen. And so it can often come out of a place of their own woundings, but as they grow, it becomes the place of their greatest strength. And I just love that about you, Luke. I see that in you and I am all about championing it. So Thank you. yeah. Uh, um, my husband and I love to say that the Enneagram nine, um, they thrive in bringing unity to the world. They believe that unity and peace are what brings life um, to the world. They love to create a harmony. Um, they desire intensely to have an inner stability and a peace of mind. Um, so in, in stress, this can look or in an unhealthy way, this can look like a lot of avoiding or actually being asleep to themselves. So the journey of an Enneagram nine is often actually coming awake to what do I want? What do I desire? They're so in touch with trying to keep the peace that they can often minimize their own needs um, to just keep it quiet on the surface for everybody. Um, so the journey for a nine is to come alive to the point where they become peacemakers instead of peacekeepers where they'll stop fearing conflict and be able to move through it confidently to realize that on the other side of a lot of that clear communication is the peace that their heart longs for. Um, 
And so a core, some of the core fears of the nine is actually being in conflict. They don't like to be, feel separate or uncomfortable, unimportant, inharmonious. Um, they don't like tension in their relationships. The state of the world right now with everything political on Facebook is like a nine's nightmare. They can often see the sides of both things. And so especially when it's two friends disagreeing, like that can hit the nine at the core. And then they wonder, do I have a place or a space in that? Um, what do I have to offer? And so they can tend to be kind of quiet when the world actually needs, needs what they can see um, in those two sides of the puzzle. And so um, a message that a nine longs to hear is that their presence matters. And the rest of the numbers on the Enneagram, the greatest gift we can give our nine friends is to create room for them, to remind them that their presence matters, to help them take a stage up on life and say, hey, <laughs> that could be pursuing them first in friendship sometimes. It could be like, what do you actually, what's, want what's happening inside of you nines are incredible listeners they're so empathetic that they can sometimes merge with other people's stories to the point that when you turn around and ask them like how are you doing it can actually give them a little bit of a freeze response because wait they're so merged with what you're saying so it's often creating room for the nines to be individual and to be seen so it comes with a lot of space um, and a lot of sincerity because the treasures that they bring are unlike any other when they get brought up to the surface. Mm, right. Just wholeheartedly agree with that assessment and detailing of a nine. I have been married to a wonderful nine for almost 15 years and he has just grown into that person that you just described, Katie. That's amazing. Yeah. I that was really good. One question I ask nines when they're wrestling, is this me? It's like a very simple, basic question. Like, do you struggle with the question, where do you want to go? Where do you want to eat? And like every nine I've talked to, like, oh my gosh, yes, that is such a hard question. And it's just a very basic question. But if I, if I say McDonald's and you want a Burger King, then I just put you out and I made a conflict. And just a very everyday life conversation, all of a sudden, there's some sort of, should I have put out my opinion there? And so that's, that's a, a, a struggle for a nine, to have a voice, have an opinion, um, to take up space. So that's very, very well said, Katie. Um, I just wanted to comment on that, Luke, because it is exactly true. Like those everyday questions, especially around decisions, where it creates this idea that they need to take up space or say something can be very anxiety inducing to a nine. Um, however, they're often kind of asleep to their anxiety. So they won't even really realize that they're anxious. They'll just be like, why is it so hard for me to make a decision about where to go to eat? And so it's actually um, because they want to include everybody. It comes out of this really pure desire, but a lot of people can give nines a bad rap for you're just a people pleaser, you're so passive, you just avoid. And 
kind of slam on the nines for stepping back rather than understanding that like they are stepping back, but maybe this is why they're stepping back. And so beginning to give them space. So the journey for a nine is to realize that they are as valuable as the people they're creating space for. Um, that both people equally can have needs that come to the table. And so it's okay to want Burger King just as much as your friend wants Burger King. And then maybe today you go to McDonald's, but tomorrow we go to Burger King, that their needs can also have this a place. And for a nine, so every Enneagram number um, picks up an unconscious childhood message. Like people go back and forth all the time of like, is the Enneagram a nature or a nurture thing? I say, yes, <laughs> that's my answer at the end of the day. It's a complicated discussion, but at the end of the day, it's yes. And as kids, we don't have full blown perceptors, right? Like even now as an adult, we have confirmation bias in our lives. We have all of these different things. So you could have the best parents in the world and still pick up a message that they didn't intend for you to pick up. Or maybe you had a really rough family background and you picked up the message and they did intend for you to pick it up. But either way, every number has an unconscious message that in childhood they begin to believe. And that is a core part of forming who they are in their number. And so the unconscious childhood message for a nine is it's not okay to assert yourself. So that is kind of this internal belief system that is formed for a nine, an internal rule that when it is time for them to take space, it's this, wait a minute, but I can't, I'm not supposed to assert myself. I learned that just like you learned, some families learned that you take a corn on the cob and you roll it through butter and other families learn that you're supposed to take the knife and spread the butter on the corn of the cob, right? It's so it actually goes against the subconscious rule for them, but it's actually what their hearts long for the most. So they can feel caught in this catch 20. And that's the beauty of the Enneagram is that it can take and reveal to us this childhood message. And at the same time, our core desire that your presence matters and live in the tension of it's not okay to assert yourself. So the Enneagram takes those two subconscious desires and truths and shows us how to hold them in tension and bring them together in health. Um, why is it okay to assert myself sometimes? Like it is, my presence does matter. I can do this. Quite a lot of our personalities and our core fears and desires with the Enneagram is that we're actually either running away from what our heart needs or running towards it and trying to get those needs met in other ways. And so the Enneagram reveals to us, why have we built our personality around shielding and protecting ourselves or trying to get our needs met? And so it begins this unraveling process for us in the self-awareness because we are designed to get our needs met in really healthy ways. So it kind of uncovers that belief system for us. Mm. I think we're going to turn this series into a nine-part series and just do 45 minutes on for each, each number. Each number. <laughs> so much good stuff. So good. But we'll have to keep moving. I'll try to keep us moving because this is so good. So, so as we're going clockwise, we're going to go next to a one. And the one, so a nine, we forgot to mention that the peacemaker is one of the names that's called a one 
one of the names is called uh, perfectionist or the reformer or the reformer which is a, a nicer name i think a, a better uh, term for that so unpack what a reformer might look like yeah oh i love me some ones ones are your decisive number they <laughs> If you are waffling between two things, you want to call up your one friend and they're going to be able to tell you this is right or this is wrong. Do this or do that. Ones, I love this idea that ones remember the perfection of heaven and they try to bring it to earth. They remember and see the world as how it should be. And so imperfections have a way of jumping out to a one. They don't seek them out. <laughs> they just spot what is not right. Um, they are driven by a desire to reform, to bring justice. Um, nines and eights also are part of loving justice. And we can get into that in a little bit, but like the one embodies that in this, they have almost like a gut instinct of knowing what's right and what's wrong. They subconsciously are picking up information all the time and with that, their core fear can be that they will actually be wrong because they're so attuned to what's right or wrong. They could have a core fear that they're a bad person, a bad girl, a bad boy. They fear being angry or inappropriate, corruptible. Integrity is so important to them and how people see them as integ and having integrity. Um, ones tend to be very self-disciplined and conscientious. They're very ethical. Um, and one of the things about a one that's actually the hardest, and I think we should encounter them with the same compassion that we do for a nine that doesn't believe they can take up space, is that for the one, we can engage with compassion with them in the fact that ones have an inner critic. That's the most like hallmark of a number one is that they have a relentless inner critic telling them what they've done wrong or what they should or should not do. And so that can become a really painful place. And sometimes ones can come across as making snap judgments or maybe harsh or critical of other people. And what the world doesn't realize is as critical as they are to other people or wanting a standard of perfection to other people, they're holding themselves to such a higher standard internally. The inner critic is relentless. So the journey for a one is to learn grace and compassion and acceptance and kind of befriend and then silence the inner critic. Um, but the inner critic was trying to protect them from the things in their childhood that they were afraid of failure or something like that. And so it's learning to realize that, hey, no, I'm okay. Um, their unconscious childhood message of a one is that it's not okay to make mistakes. Um, so they picked that up along the way, whether it was a parent yelling at them for getting a B minus or, you know, whatever it is, every story is a different engagement with that. But they grew in this idea that it wasn't okay to make mistakes. And the tension of that inner belief is paired with what their heart really desires. And that is you are good and you are enough. That's what a one needs to know that they are truly good and they're okay. 
And so it's such a big blessing. Their core, their core desire is to bring integrity and balance that they want to be right and they want to improve themselves and others. Ones are all about bringing righteousness to the world and their sense of justice. If you find a one that has like, um, maybe they're trying a new diet or found a new supplement or whatever, they are going to literally be the voice of that because it helped them and they found something that's good and they wanna share that with the world. Um, they're very impassioned and emboldened people at least internally, not all of them will externally say all of those things, but there's this internal drive of like, but here's the truth. And I want to give this gift to you. This is what is right. That's the ones that I've uh, had the pleasure of knowing. They, you said like, they see like what is right and they see what is wrong. And uh, they're a great person to improve things like you said they they see the imperfection in something and say okay this is how we're going to get something better this is how we're going to improve it and it's such a great skill to have as they have that voice to maybe that's the i didn't know that about the justice but maybe that's the justice aspect of them is they're pushing for for that to um, improve things and it's such a great quality for them like you were mentioning sometimes the, the under the weakness of them can become the strengths like that inner critic of perfection and becoming better as they can learn to harness that they can help the world become a better place help the organization become a better place whatever it is that they do they will learn how to do it well and more efficiently and more effectively and it's just a they're great people to have those are really great points, Luke. Um, there's so there's so much to a one. I don't want to do them injustice in a brief overview, but ones, if you're out there and you're connecting, I just want you to know that you're seen. And the biggest journey for a one is to know that no matter how much they try to improve, the inner critic will always tell them that it's not enough. And so the journey for the one is to realize that they can't be any more loved than they already are right now. That improvement is good and perfection is good, but that they can receive and are worthy of unconditional love and acceptance as they are. And so when a one can lock into that, it breaks open a well of compassion inside of them for their own journey and for the journey of other people. And critical ones will start engaging and will become compassionate. And they'll still have this drive to bring righteousness and justice and correct wrongs in the world because that's their strength, that's their gift. That's not gonna go away, but they'll be able to pair it with a softness that makes their message go further. Mm, that's so helpful, Katie. That really makes so much sense. Um, I love that the Enneagram looks at at our numbers with such a holistic mind like view and sees it doesn't bring shame to our you know like underbelly or the the challenges of our number it doesn't bring shame to it it's like you're able to just look at people and understand why they default the way they do and then be able to 
um, see that in yourself. And honestly, seeing that for me brought so much freedom. And I just love that you're, you're calling that one to that place of freedom with realizing they don't need to, to perfect themselves. They don't need to do anything. They're fully worthy of receiving that unconditional love. It's just so powerful. I heard you mention justice and just how that's a, that's a theme for them. Where does that come in? Like, why does that, why is that important to a one? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Lauren. That's actually so important for each number. So as you're going around the circle of the Enneagram, they started to classify the numbers into groupings of three that we call the triads. And the triads, all that it does is cue us into what way do we begin to first receive and process information? That's all that it is. And each of our numbers fit into either the gut triad, the heart triad, or the mind triad. And all that means is simply that anyone in the gut triad first begins processing information by knowing. They just know, and they don't even often know how they know. And so their journey is getting in touch with this unconscious processing that's been happening. And so the people that are in the gut, the numbers that are in the gut, triad are eight, nine, and one, the two numbers that we've talked about so far. And they all share common um, similarities of strength and weakness around core emotions and core desires. And so um, an eight, nine, and a one all share similar desires for justice. It's really important to them. It shows up differently in every number. Um, And we can hit the eight when we come back at the end, when we end on an eight, but for a nine is the injustice of people being left out. They want everyone included. Everybody gets a voice and a place in the space. And for the one, it's writing the injustices of the wrongs, the blatant wrongs of people. Like, how could they do that? You know, the ones are going to champion things and eights are going to champion the underdog. Um, they do not like betrayal. Like everyone deserves this, you know, whatever that is for each individual person, but that's going to be their driving force. And so they also share similar liabilities and strengths around a core emotion. And for the gut triad, that's anger. So eight is the one that's usually in touch with their anger. Um, Nines are pretty asleep to their anger. And so, because they believe that like it could cause disunity or bring inharmonious things, but being angry actually helps them get in touch with what they do or don't like. I'm actually angry that every time I go to Burger King, they give me soggy fries. That's why I don't want to go there. You know, like it can actually help them to awaken to their anger. So for nines, it's this journey of awakening to anger and that it won't cut them off from relationship, but it will actually give them tools to get more of the peace they want when they understand where the anger is coming from. And then for the one, they tend to deny their anger. Um, They feel that it's often inappropriate because integrity and propriety, these different things are so important to them. So for a one, anger tends to leak out in resentment (laughs) or maybe frustration. Um, It's going to come out quietly, but it's going to be there and it undermines their relationships in resentment rather than just facing the anger because they feel that anger is wrong or bad. And so the journey for a one is to realize that like 
all emotions are value neutral. What we do with them makes them right or wrong or these different things. But when a one can get in touch with their anger, it opens a lot of doors for them for compassion on themselves and for others and to realize that this quiet resentment that's simmering under the surface is actually more detrimental to them than acknowledging the truth that they are indeed angry and it's it's okay and they can have a voice and fight and injustice in that way that's very helpful that's that's good i haven't heard it um explained with the justice aspect so that's that's really good stuff thank you so we're going to move on to two which starts another triad do you want to touch on that real quick before we enter into that triad yeah that would be great so the Enneagram two, three, and four make up what we call the heart triad. And the heart triad processes information first through feelings. They begin the journey of first going, oh, I feel this. <laughs> then they can connect to, well, what do I know about this in their head or in their gut? But the impact of any information they're taking in is first going to be felt by them. And so all three of the numbers share a liability and a struggle around the emotion of shame. Um, shame is a big one for two, three, and four. And oftentimes when people are trying to find out what number they are, it's really helpful to look at the triads first. Like, oh, do I struggle more with anxiety, with shame or with anger, you know, and start like pressing into those things. But um, the desire that the heart triad all shares is a desire for significance, or I even like to say identity. Um, they share a common desire of, I wanna know that I'm seen. And so when they are not seen, they can feel a lot of shame. And that can resurface as blame sometimes, like if it is repressed and comes out. But a two is so busy trying to take care of everyone else's needs that they're not actually aware of feeling any shame. They are asleep to it, like the nine is, asleep to anger. The three avoids, avoids feeling their shame, like a little bit like the one avoids feeling their their anger. And then the four is the most aware of it. <laughs> they are usually kind of swimming in it. They can feel that shame very intensely and it's a very hard journey for them. But all of them share those common strengths and weaknesses around shame and um, significance and identity and what they're longing for, what they're going after. Wow. So that is the um, heart triad, right? Two, three, and four. Two, three, and four. Okay. okay. Very cool. So tell us a little bit more about twos. We love twos. <laughs> twos are so helpful. <laughs> like, so helpful. Um, twos, my sister-in-law is a two. And this is such a beautiful example of how a two shows up. Um, the first time I met her, saw her for a couple hours. Next time I met her, or saw her like after, like in the process of getting married and all of those things, we didn't live near them. So we didn't see them often, but she walks up to me. She said, are you thirsty? And I was like, yeah, well, she comes in bringing me a glass of ice water. And I was like, 
how do you know that I like ice in my water? Like a two will know what you need and what you like even before you realize it subconsciously. She'd been around me twice <laughs> and she knows that I like ice in my water. And that just like blew me away. They are the most gentle, serving, amazing things. And so um, they're very empathetic and caring, appreciative, generous, others oriented. They're like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. Like I'm in there. They don't need positions of leadership or these different things. Like they just, they want to serve. We can learn a lot from them in how they help other people. Um, at their best, like when they are thriving, twos are nurturing and joyous, gracious, forgiving, compassionate. They often see the world through relationships and through um, how they define themselves through their service to others. And that in turn can then become that little bit of that shadow side or that weakness because in stress, twos can become resentful that you're not appreciating them. They can get a little clingy. Um, twos can struggle with a need to be needed, um, that they get their value and their identity, their significance from the way others need them. So twos can struggle a little bit with codependency sometimes, any number can, but it can be an obvious to see in a two a little bit more because they get so much joy out of serving other people. Um, and so it's a danger for them when they're serving other people out of a desire to have significance and worth rather than realizing they already are so worthy and so worthy of love. And then they can just give that away. So again, those, that strength and weakness comes into tension. Um, their core fear is being unloved or unwanted. <laughs> like twos hate that. They want to be in it with you. Don't shut them out. Um, they do not want to be out of touch of their loved ones, left out in social situations. Um, they don't want to be in interpersonal situations. They don't like the tension there. So in that way, they can kind of look a lot like a nine. So in the beginning of the discovery process, two and nines can often mistype because they share a similar desire around peace and around people, but their motivations are actually different. So a nine wants to know that their presence matters, but a two really wants to know that they're loved and wanted. So it's very different and very similar at the same time. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how they process first. Um, is it in their gut? Is it in their heart? Um, and then where they go in growth and stress. So if you're really confused when you're typing about what your number is, finding where you are in the roadmap, like, oh, a nine hits a three and a six, a two hits um, a four and an eight. That looks very different what we do in growth and stress. So when two numbers can look similar in the typing process, you look at, well, what do you normally do when you're stressed? And that helps you identify where are we? So <clears throat> the unconscious message that a two picks up in their childhood is that it's not okay to have your own needs. And so again, that's different than the nines, but a two is it's not okay to have your own needs. So they become so busy serving everyone else that the journey for them is to realize that, wow, what I need is just as valuable as what I'm giving. It's like the whole illustration of the oxygen mask on the airplane. Like if you can get in touch with what you need and take care of it, 
you're going to be so much better able to help everyone else around you when you're breathing. But twos often forget to put their oxygen mask on and they're just like, oh, you can't breathe. Let me help you. And they charge right in. And that's the beauty of their strength. But again, that's also a little bit of their weakness. So we, our youngest daughter is a two and I feel like living with her and mothering her has been so incredibly helpful for me to understand like the essence of a two and to just really gain so much insight into twos. It's amazing to see her true natural inclination really is to care about the people around her. I mean, it is so incredibly natural for her and to not think, oh, wait, I have needs and preferences and I can ask for those. It doesn't always have to be other people first. And just seeing her as she's developing and as she's, um, we've definitely seen the nature and nurture part that, you know, became that contributed to how she became a two, but just seeing her, even as an 11 year old say, actually, this might help you, but it makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. It like knocks us off our feet <laughs> at first. Cause we're just like, what, but not in a upset way. Just we're so surprised that she's gaining that voice and learning how to, to love big, but boundaried. It's so huge for twos to be able to, to be in their essence and truly love and give because it's so life-giving to them, but to be able to care just as much for themselves and, and not put their needs on the back shelf. Our daughter even wrote a poem about like, my needs don't always need to be on the back shelf. That was like one of the lines, like my needs matter too. And it's really powerful to see her going to growth and the, what it can look like for a really healthy two. Yeah. I was actually mistyped initially as a two. I thought it was a two. Uh, a lot of the things you're saying about like not feeling like you needs matter was like, I thought it was the needs matter. But then I realized it was more, I need my existence to matter. And it was a very clear, it was very small, but like significant shift in the difference between a two and a nine. They do look a lot alike outwardly. Then you look at the motivation of why they do what they do. And it's very different. And it's, I'm very much gut driven. Like you were mentioning, it's intuition. I don't, a lot of things, I don't know why I feel the things I feel, or I, I have this intuition. And your, your ability to help people isn't just because you have this huge drive to help. Like you do, you do like to help. Mm -hmm. And that's a healthy part of you being a, a counselor and being a person who helps, but it's so different than a two who's like, really find so much fulfillment and in, in helping. <laughs> and when I was less healthy, it was, I wanted to help out of the lack of feeling like I mattered. Yeah. It was, so it was always putting my needs aside and saying, okay, I need to, I need to help people because that's what's, they're more important than me. And it was more, less, more of, I had this drive to help. It was more, this is my expectation Yeah. because my existence doesn't matter. My needs don't matter. And theirs do, so I might as well help. I experienced that trickiness between the two and a nine. And we've seen a lot of people get those numbers. Like it seems like a lot of people mistype as a two, and nine is one of the biggest ones. It yeah. seems like to mistype as a two. No, that's amazing. I was just going to echo that. Um, and like you can also edit this part out, but a two with boundaries is a real badass, like <laughs> unstoppable force. 
because they understand needs and how to meet them. So they are the greatest blessing to people. But when they can also do it out of this really secure place, wow. And I can attest to your daughter and how powerful she is. My husband uh, actually read some of her poetry and cried. Like it touched him so deeply because of how she's able to express in her journey. Like it's been amazing to watch her develop. And so, yeah, if you're okay with swearing on your podcast, like two are the best badasses ever. Like they are such a gift. Every number has, you know, a badass form to it. Um, but twos, because that leap is so big from their unhealth to health, it's just worthy of applauding. Well said, very well said. So the next on the journey is a three. They're achievers. They're more kind of my understanding is they're task oriented, goal driven and image uh, aware and sensitive. So why don't you explain a little bit about the core desires and fears of a three? Yeah, I love me some threes. Threes and eights are the movers and shakers on the Enneagram. They're the high energy driven get or done people. And as a six, my stress number is a three. So I've learned a lot about threes and also encountered a lot of maybe the shadow side of the three within myself as I've grown and shifted, but then learned a lot from the threes of like how powerful they can be moving forward. Because again, the Enneagram does that complete circle for us. So as I learned, I learned so much from the three, not about just the, the low side, maybe the shadow side, but also the power that they bring and the confidence. And my journey as a six has actually been returning to the confidence of the three in a really, really powerful way. Um, taking my place in the world without shame, showing up for it. And so that's why a six is on a podcast, right? They've touched the three side, like <laughs> they're, we're there. And so I love me some threes. Threes are motivated a lot by influence. Threes see the world through layers of connection and bridges and what can be and how all those things connect together. Threes will name drop and maybe in an unhealthy place that can be wanting that identity. Like see me because I have worth because I know so-and-so. But in a healthy place, it's like, oh, no, you have the resource that will connect over here. And so they're going to name drop to bring it all in. So, again, that's why it goes back to understanding your motivation. And you can't just like read it off the top if it's coming from health or unhealth, because they're actually really motivated by influence and success in a way that gets things done. Um, that's really powerful. Threes thrive on to-do lists they need them, they check them off, they run with them. Some of their, uh, they can be, <laughs> sometimes they can be excessively driven and get into a little trouble that way, a little bit on the workaholic side. And threes can struggle with wearing a mask that they can believe that they are only what they achieve. So again, they need to come back to this place of, wow, I am worthy of receiving unconditional love, no matter what I achieve even in my failures and that I'm not made up of my failures or the whole of me doesn't consist of what I've not yet been able to bring to the table or the thing that I did wrong. And so a three is, um, can be a chameleon sometimes and kind of blend with other people. Um, and nines go to a three 
in their low side and in growth as well. They nine, three and six, I'll touch each other, but they can kind of merge with whoever they're around to be the most successful. And so whatever the room calls for, if the room calls for quiet, they're going to be the best quiet in that situation. If it's the life of the party and telling the jokes and they're going to get noticed and they're going to do that, they're going to kind of blend to what the situation needs. They can change colors. And so that can look deceitful to some people and they can get annoyed by what they see as an inconsistency in the three. But again, the strength side of that is actually being able to read a room and and merge with it and bring what's needed to the table. There's so much strength that lies there too. So threes are incredible salespeople, marketers, pastors, you know, influencers. Yeah. Um, they're very image conscious. They drive our fashion world, threes and fours, which I love. My husband always jokes, are you bringing in a three side when I'm like, Hey, did you see these newest pants? You know, and he always like laughs and I'm like, well, yeah, it's important. He's an eight. And he's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's so important for influence. And so we have some good laughs. I love what the threes bring. They have a desire to be loved and valued and worthwhile just by being themselves. That's what they need to hear. They need to hear that they're loved for themselves, not what they're able to achieve because they're such high achievers. And so that journey for them is like, wow, I'm loved for just me, not the amount of houses I own or the newest model of the car or that the grass is greener in the Jones's yard, but like, I'm okay as I am. And uh, the message that they unconsciously had in their childhood was it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity. So they maybe grew up in a culture where they, this was the standard that was laid out for them. And this is what they had to be. Um, so maybe their family was very athletic and they were not, you know, like there's just different things that they picked up. So now they're going to be the best designer ever, or maybe they went the opposite direction with that motivation. And if their family was very sporty, they felt they had to in order to fit in. So they could be in their thirties and suddenly realize they don't actually care about baseball. That's just something they did to and achieved at to get the value. So their journey is also getting to know themselves and what do I actually want? And it's okay to have my own identity and feelings and not merge with other people's or try to achieve a standard of success based on what someone else has told me success is like, what is success to me? Oh, I love how you just break it down. <laughs> Bite-sized, practical, understandable. And as you're just talking, like, this is helping me understand threes. Threes I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. And just understanding, then seeing, like you said, nine goes to a three and, and health. Like, yep, yep, that's, that's where it comes out. Influencers, like podcast, counseling, like, that's all influencing that's not my, that's not necessarily my, my nine coming out. That's like, and you talking task and uh, goal oriented, like you give me a list. That's it. That's, that's how you get a nine to get something done. Is <laughs> you get, you push them towards the health of getting a, a, a checklist and it just feels so good. And so it's just, as you're saying that I'm just, seeing where my health has gone, like, like parts of my health is coming out and also understanding threes, you know, 
in a uh, such a clear, understandable way. And they're just, they're beautiful people. I think it's helpful to, to hear, like we've, we've been learning Enneagram for the last couple of years. We haven't gotten the training you've gotten. So these things that you're filling into the gaps are amazing, but just even to go through for those of us who do already know it, to listen again to each number and just remember their humanity. It's so easy to like, especially me um, as an eight, I've said on the podcast before, I think in concrete and black and white terms. And so my tendency is to judge and to be critical of things that I don't relate to or don't understand. And so threes, like it's so easy. We each have different numbers that we maybe would judge more easily. So like a three, I might do great on a project with, cause like threes and eights are both powerhouses, like you said, or yeah. But also like the image thing and the name dropping and all of that is like, huh, that's so interesting. But to look beyond the behavior to like the motivation and why, and to not just to give people that grace of, of understanding, like we all see from a different lens, we engage with the world from a different lens. And when we can understand each other's lenses better, AKA our numbers, we can have such better connections with people. And it's just, as you're talking about each of these numbers, I just feel my heart like exploding with compassion and love for the different people I know of these numbers because um, their, their humanity and their beauty at their essence, whether or not they're living in the health of that, you know, where they could be, it's, it's something to honor in each other. I've heard somebody say like the lens aspect of like each number has a different color lens that they see the world through. And so just understanding that and like trying to, I can't remember exactly how they said it, but like you put their color lens on and you don't see it just like they, they do, but you like can understand the picture of the world that they see it, see the world in. And it helps us understand, yeah, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. Like as living overseas, that was one of the biggest trainings that we experience is as you go overseas, nothing is right or wrong. It's just different. Not nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Most things. Most things are not, there's not just a right or wrong, or they do, they eat this food. That's not right or wrong. They do things this way. That's not right or wrong. Different. And, And it's the same thing as we look at different personalities and different ways we interpret the world. It's not necessarily a right or wrong way to interpret the world. It's just different than the way that is natural for us. Actually, the lens illustration is probably my favorite. Whenever I teach the Enneagram to a group of people, like in a seminar format or, you know, a team business format or something, I will ask everyone to bring sunglasses and we put them all on and we look around the room and then we switch them. And someone's going to have Ray-Bans and someone's going to have dollar store and someone's going to have, and they all have a different value for why they chose them. And we'll talk about why did you pick that pair of sunglasses? Was it because it was laying there in the, on your console, or your car, and it was the most convenient or did you seek out a specific designer brand or maybe you needed a prescription lens and then we'll pass them around and try them on and it changes the colors that they see in the room and it changes the frame around their eyes. And it's like, that's exactly what the Enneagram does for us. We don't fully understand what someone else is seeing, but we can begin to enter into the journey with them and be like, oh yeah, it's not wrong. I like pink sunglasses. You like solid black. Like some of us, I want to see the world through rose colored glasses. 
stop telling me everything that's wrong. Yeah. Number six, like, you know, like brings us to these places of understanding where we can receive each other's strength and receive the gifts that each one of us bring to the table, no matter where we are in our growth journey. I love that you said that Lauren. You use the lens example a lot better than I did. So thank you for <laughs> building <laughs> that up a little bit. That's what she's here for. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the last number on the fear triad, shame triad, and that takes us shame. to, I'm sorry, the shame triad and the um, heart triad. Uh, that takes us to number four, the individualist is an, an one name that is given to a four. Fours are so cool. I'm just going to throw that out there. They're just so cool. Like, I kind of, and fours, I just have a like a four crush. <laughs> I'm the same way, Lauren. Like because I'm in the head triad and fours are in the heart triad. Like I definitely have a crush on them because of how in touch they are with their emotions. Like as I was learning to get in touch with my heart and grow in emotional health, my four friends were such a benefit to me because they were comfortable with emotion. So if I was scared to express emotion, I could express it to them it didn't overwhelm them. They didn't look like I was crazy. Like they're so comfortable with it that it helps me grow in my comfortability. And again, I love that that's what we can receive for different Enneagram numbers and their strengths. But yes, I've always had a little bit of a crush on a four because in a different life, I would be Joanna Gaines. And uh, what I love the most about fours is their creativity. Like that's my favorite part. They are the individualist. Another name for them is the romantic individualist. And that is they like see the beauty of things and they see um, the way things could be in a very creative and imaginary sense. Um, now fours can get into trouble by staying too much in their imagination of their emotions and like feeling things out that maybe won't actually happen, but their imagination is also such a strength. And Fours, when I think of fours, I think of the word authentic, like fours have such a high value for authenticity for themselves and other people. And their value for authenticity is actually so high <laughs> that the weakness that comes in with that is that they can feel like they're always missing something because they want to be so authentic. They have an internal monologue that sometimes says, there's something, I'm flawed. There's something wrong with me in a different way than a one, but also in the one's inner critic is more harsh. The four just feels a little bit more like I'm missing something. I love authenticity so much. I want the full picture so much that there's more that I'm missing to this. And so they can be very artistic, articulate, inspiring, witty, and they can bring so much to the table. Their shadow side is that sometimes they can be self-absorbed, like they feel their emotions so much that they can kind of get stuck in them, where rather they feel their emotions so authentically that their emotions become the truth, like the absolute truth, rather than just the truth of where they presently are. Um, and so a journey for a four can be still valuing the truth that their feelings are expressing to them, the information that their feelings are giving them, 
but not letting it be the end all version of the way the whole world perceives them. So for the four, it's like kind of stepping out of themselves a little bit to see a bigger picture and a new truth coming in and that their feeling is so real in this moment, but it could also change and there could be another side to it. And so that can be a journey for a four. Um, the worst thing you can tell your four friends is to minimize their feelings. You're not feeling that. Stop it. That's not true. That's literally the worst way that we can gaslight our four friends. Like the feelings are so there and they are, they are feeling them and they are so true. And so I love the picture of Job and like some of his friends did it really well and some of them did not, but they actually sat with him in his feelings and to be a friend to a four, you can sit with them, learn from them. And then in turn, they give you a space to have feelings. So it's this beautiful exchange. So one of the core fears of a four is actually being emotionally cut off, like not having that shared space and connection. That's so valuable to them. Um, they hate being inadequate or plain. I love my fours. Fours are like, let's promote small businesses. Um, shop local, like they so deeply value that authenticity that fours lead our style. They're going to be on podcasts and fashion magazines and like how they look and how they present themselves. All of it needs to be a reflection of how they see themselves. And so being plain and ordinary and commonplace is the worst thing ever for a four. They desire uniqueness they desire to stand apart and to be seen for who they actually are. The force can actually define themselves by their unique significance. They want to express themselves. Um, they want to find the ideal partner or the ideal job. So some of the hang up for the four or the weaknesses is that they understand an ideal so much that they can struggle with connecting to something that's less than perfect. And so in dating relationships, like fours can sometimes have a hard time getting over a hump that someone isn't going to always meet them perfectly. And so when fours come in touch with the fact that they have some flaws and it's okay and it's not shameful, we're all human. We all have these things they're working through. When they can accept that about themselves, they start accepting that about other people and that unlocks so many opportunities for them where they're no longer waiting just for the ideal. They don't let go of it because that's part of the gift that they bring, but it doesn't become an all or nothing anymore. They can live in the tension of what is while going for what is not yet. And so when a four can thrive in that place, rather than just waiting for the perfect opportunity, they'll start risking and growing. And it's this beautiful thing. The message that every four longs to hear from the people that love them and from their friends is that you are loved and seen for who you are. Like they need that reminder that like, I see you and you're not too much. Like fours can often feel like they're too much or they're not worthy of being seen. And they just need to know that they are seen and loved for who they are. It's really simple and it's a really beautiful gift that we can give them that you're okay as you are. Um, because fours are so in touch with their own flaws, but they just need that reminder. They're not missing something and they're enough as they are. And then fours um, picked up a message in their childhood that it's not okay to be too functional or too happy. 
um, which is kind of a strange thing to think about. You're like, wait, how, where did that come from? But it's this idea that in their childhood, they subconsciously picked up the idea that if I do go out and do things, if I become too functional and too independent, I won't be loved. Like it's actually my weakness that allows me to still be loved because I need you and you see me when I have emotions. Um, so it can kind of be that or in the too happy part of things, it's just this idea that whenever we squish one emotion, we squish all of them. Um, it's this idea that emotions buried alive never die. And if fours are taught that emotions are inappropriate, they're going to squish the sad ones, which is also going to actually squish the happy ones. Um, so if crying wasn't allowed in your family, if it was too much, stop being a crybaby or I'll give you something to cry about, right? Like that could be in any number, but specifically for a four, they're going to think, well, if I can't express the sad ones, I definitely can't express the happy ones. And so, and happiness will be a betrayal to myself. The fours can often feel like if they just pretend to be happy, they're actually betraying the authenticity of some of the heavier emotions that they're feeling. That's interesting because I've heard about fours having those heavy emotions and having that melancholy kind of feeling and kind of being the Eeyore of the Enneagram. And, but that flip side of understanding it, that the importance not just to fit in the emotion, but sometimes they're almost afraid of the good emotions because it's a did not it's a, a betrayal a betrayal of who they are. That's that's really good. Mm-hmm. It's have you guys seen the movie um, Inside Out? Absolutely, love it. <laughs> One of my favorites. I have my students watch it every year in our emotional health classes. And, but it's this whole idea that when the little elephant fun character, he sits down and he's crying, the imaginary friend and sadness comes over and joy comes over and joy is like, come on, come on. We got to get going happy. And she tries to joke and she tries to dance and like all of that it doesn't work. He's still really sad, but sadness comes over and just sits with him, validates his emotions, validates his feelings, enters in and attunes with the sadness. All of a sudden he feels comforted. He feels okay. And now he can enter into the joy and enter into the happy. So for the four, especially that can be really abrasive to them when we actually ask them to deny the sad emotions rather than first engaging with them so that they feel loved and seen in the sad places that frees them to then engage with some of the happier emotions. And it doesn't, it relieves some of that internal war and tension within them of going against their authentic self by denying the darker feelings and the heavier feelings. Again, that's true in emotional health across the board, but for a four, that can be so much more intense than it is for some of us. That actually reminds me of clients have had in the past there was a married couple she was a four and I think he was like a one and he just wanted to get things done and wanted her to keep moving and one of the things that we came to the understanding is they didn't know the Enneagram I was kind of teaching it and she was a four and being able to sit and validate her her experience was actually helped motive like 
get some motivation and momentum moving forward, which is really good for the husband, but it was really validating for her. She just was, she just needed somebody to sit with her and to acknowledge that this, these emotions are real. And in a sense, I was kind of like sadness sitting with the elephant and it was just helped move her forward. And, and that's just another reminder of the importance of knowing the Enneagram in relationships. Because when you're looking through the world with your lens, like, why aren't they doing what I'm telling them to do? And they're actually, your lens is actually working counter to their, to their lens. And so being able to put their lens on and saying, oh, this is what you need. So important. So we are going to wrap up this first episode here covering nine, one, two, three, and four. It has been so good, so much information, uh, so valuable, and I can't say so enough <laughs> to how a nine. If a nine is this excited, <laughs> you know you've really just snacked it out of a ballpark, Katie. Absolutely, Katie. he just isn't that expressive. But yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite episodes so far yeah. such a gift um i always enjoy having guests this is guests this are so makes... fun well we know amazing people so yeah, that, that helps <laughs> so yeah next episode we'll do the rest of the enneagram numbers uh what's that five six seven and eight right yep and thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon while it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment Please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.